Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 11. First Kings chapter 11. Influencers. This is a relatively new term for our day and age, and they are defined as individuals who have grown a large following on social media platforms. Not more than 20 years ago, these Guides, authorities, specialists would not have had the technological podiums to reach the masses. However, our modern technology has allowed numerous voices to share opinions, life hacks, advice, or any number of innovations. Some influencers have over a million people who Follow them, and we are the influenced. Yet in spite of this modern advance in technology, there is a whole other group of people who are powerful influencers. A group of individuals whose history spans time, boundaries, and cultures. Throughout times past, they have moved between armies and lands and have had the ear of governors, emperors, and kings. This group has been so influential that they even at times have changed the course of history. They are more dominant than the Davos billionaires who met last week or the leaders of the G8 nations. This group has more sway than our social media influencers, and they are just as powerful today as they've been throughout history. And some are even here this morning. Let's pray. Lord, as we worship you corporately now before your word, Lord, we ask that you would be present, and Lord, that you would open our eyes so that we can see and open our hearts that we could hear. Bless your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. During the first of our series, Wisdom Gained, we discovered that Solomon asked for a hearing heart. A heart that was sensitive to the Lord to discern good and evil for the sake of God's people. The Lord was pleased with this request and responded, Behold, I will give you a wise and understanding heart, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after. We learn that to discern, to judge well, and wisdom are synonymous. To make wise judgments or to discern means the same thing. And they are typically centered around the insight to distinguish between good and evil. Then, shortly after the Lord gave Solomon wisdom, wisdom faced its first test. 
a difficult situation where there was no evidence, no witnesses, a she said, she said dilemma. And so human responses would need to be judged to give justice to the powerless. We saw that although wise judgments can sometimes lead to punishment, judgments from a hearing heart more often than not enable us to encourage the downhearted, build up the weak, warn the simple. Yet for all of these benefits of wise judgment, there is something larger at stake. There is a bigger picture. The reason you and I need to make wise judgments, the reason we need to observe human behavior and act, the reason we need to discern is for the sake of being set apart from the world. The reason we need to judge and judge well is to be separate, to be set aside for holiness. Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Or again, since we have these promises that the Lord will walk among us, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. In our day, we need wise judgments more than ever, don't we? This morning, as we further examine the life of Solomon, we're going to see that although blessed with extraordinary insight and blessing, in one area of Solomon's life, wisdom is turned a deaf ear. Solomon is blessed. He becomes immensely wealthy. Solomon becomes powerful. But in one area of his life, he deliberately chooses not to discern between good and evil, chooses not to be separate. And the consequences will be severe. Before we examine our text in 1 Kings 11, allow me to summarize chapters 4 to 10 to outline the detailed account of Solomon's kingdom as it thrives under wisdom. In chapters 4 and 5, we're given a full report of Solomon's government and his hand-picked officials. Descriptions of Solomon's wealth, the size of his army, and that he recorded over 3,000 proverbs. In chapters 6 and 7, Solomon builds a temple with all of its gold and splendor, and then builds his own house, a palace that will take 13 years to build. Then chapter 8, Solomon brings the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and blesses the Lord and prays a lengthy, heartfelt prayer of dedication. Listen as I read chapter 856. 
With Solomon's arms outstretched, he prays, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses' his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Then, after a massive 142,000 animal sacrifice, for the second time, God appears to Solomon and will say this, I have heard your prayer and your plea that which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name on it forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Things up to now are going well for Solomon. Wealth, power, pleasure, a great kingdom, and the Lord is blessed so much so that the scripture says Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Solomon's reign is the pinnacle of the kingdom of Israel. And never before had it reached these heights, and never again after, even to this day. But then Solomon gets involved with a very powerful and influential group who are more powerful than the World Economic Forum. They have more clout than the G8 nations and are more influential than this present-day influencers. Look to our text this morning in chapter 11, verse 1, to find out who. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Stop there. This highly influential group who are more powerful to sway the mighty of the world, this group who are not to be underestimated, are women. Verse 1 again. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. That line, surely they will turn away your heart, is referring to the law of Moses. Their powerful influence is so powerful that God will warn not to intermingle with godless women multiple times throughout his law. Deuteronomy 7 says, When the Lord gives over to you foreign lands, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they will turn away your sons from following me. To serve other gods. The same warning is given in Exodus. 
judge, discern, be separate, don't mix. And God will give a guarantee of sorts that if you intermarry with those who follow other gods, your heart will be turned. When you flirt with the world, when you allow just a little bit of wickedness, you will be swallowed up. Solomon has given wisdom to discern, wise judgments to discern good and evil, to be separate for the Lord. And yet he disobeyed God to follow his own lusts. And this deliberate choice to discard wisdom and to bind himself to unbelieving wives will have severe consequences for Solomon. In our time, we've been taught that women have no power. They have no influence unless they have the microphone, unless they are the boss or have center stage. Women are thought to be lesser unless they take the reins of control, but this is a delusion. In God's design for men and women in different roles, with different strengths, there is great opportunity for women not just to have a voice, but some serious sway. The scripture gives us a number of examples of this influence playing out. And I'd like to focus on just a few scenarios to reinforce my point. The first scenario being the power for women to influence for godliness, even if unwillingly paired to a wicked man or thrown into an undesirable situation. Listen as I relay the history of Second Chronicles. King Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah. Remember this name. Who instructed him to fear God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Then an evil king came after Uzziah to reign over Judah, but takes as a wife a godly woman. Now listen to what happens when they have a son who is heir to the throne of Judah. In spite of having an exceedingly wicked father, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. And what's more, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him all the days of the king of Judah or after him, or none before. How does this happen? Abby is not a king. Abby is not a ruler, but through her faithful influence on her son, the Lord uses her in shaping the future of an entire nation for decades. Another example is found in 2 Kings. We're told of a 
little Israeli girl who was carried off by the Assyrians in one of their raids. She ended up being a slave, working for the wife of a very powerful Syrian commander. Yet for all his power, he had leprosy. Now listen, younger ladies. How even a godly little girl can have an impact on the great leaders of the world. She would have no doubt cried for her mom and dad and wished to be home. Yet she remembers the Lord and remembers Elisha and says to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. That's a pretty bold statement. Yet the faithful influence of this little girl will point this great yet unholy commander to seek the help of the prophet Elisha in Samaria and listen to the result after Naaman was healed. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him and said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Look out, men. God even uses the pint sizes to change the hearts of men to glorify himself. Young women, do not underestimate the powerful influence you can have even in less than desirable circumstances. Do not lose sight of the sway you can have even in uncomfortable places that God has put you in. The second scenario we have in Scripture gives us a picture of how women married to weak men can have a powerful influence for evil. Jezebel was a strong influence on King Ahab to do evil in Israel, pushing him to execute the prophets of God. Then there was Herodias who prompted her daughter to ask for the head of John the Baptist. Such influence over the weak-minded. In the first scenario was the power of godly women in spite of evil men or circumstances. The second being the power of evil women over weak men. This third scenario to examine is the power of evil women over godly men. Look to verse 3 in chapter 11. And he, Solomon, had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Some wayward women desire a godly guy because they see the positives of good character. Others, perhaps because they want him to lift them out of a mundane faith as they themselves are not known for godliness. Years ago, when we were in college and career, one young lady said the quiet part out loud. Why do I always attract the losers? The room went awkwardly silent as she herself was not known for wise discretion. And nobody dared reply the obvious that you tend to attract who you are. Young women, you desire to marry an upright man. You need to be all the more diligent to be an upright woman. 
For this is the guarantee of God that should righteousness join with evil, should holiness unite or tolerate wickedness, wickedness will always pollute righteousness. And that is why we judge. That is why we need to ask for wisdom to train in discernment. For should you as a woman lack discretion, even if you married Solomon himself, you would bring him down. Not even a wisdom that is greater than all the kings of the earth is matched for the willfully ungodly spouse. The Christian life is hard. And it's only by the great mercy and grace of the Lord that we can stand even at the best of times, let alone when things get tough. Then add a spouse who has little thought for God, and this will be a union destined for hardship or misery. Young men, listen to the words of this mother as she tries to influence her son. Are you listening? What are you doing, oh my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Here is a woman warning of women. Young men, women know women, listen to them. Listen to your mom. Listen to her influence. Young man, the woman you choose to marry will be the most influential person in your life. More than your favorite author, YouTube personality, or sports athlete. Paul will urge for wise judgment in 2 Corinthians 6, stating, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Or what accord does Christ have with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Judge. Discern. Be separate. I know for some single men and women that should we date an unbeliever, there's hope that our fleshly choices will turn out well. Since we can be so influential that perhaps we can influence evil for good. We see this all the time, don't we? Young men or women attempting to missionary date, as we used to call it in my time. Young guys or girls dating unbelievers in the hope that one day they'll come around. This is not wisdom. This is not wise discretion, but foolishness to its height. And what a low view of God to believe that we can follow our own path, disregarding his word 
his warnings, his holiness, and then hope that God will come and clean up our mess afterward and bless us. Our effort to change our unbelieving fiance might look like it's working as they put on a convincing act. They say a prayer. They start going to church. They endure other Christians. But once married, the pretenses fall away and the misery begins. For those women that Solomon acquired, they too had every opportunity to see the Lord. They would have seen the entire display of Solomon's wisdom, his blessing, wealth, and influence. Solomon's wives would have seen the building of the temple, the Ark of the Covenant. They would have been present for the great prayer of dedication, which we read earlier. They would have seen Solomon as he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. They would have seen Solomon's sacrifices of 142,000 animals. Yet all this display of God-given wisdom and blessing and dedication to the one true God, the fear of the Lord meant absolutely nothing to them. It should have. The queen of Sheba, who was far off, saw the wisdom of God. And Jesus says of her, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But it meant nothing to Solomon's wives. Young men, The Lord knows your desire for companionship. He designed you. He knows these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And besides, there are many pretty, good-looking, and godly young ladies here this morning maybe just a a few pews away. Yet you are still too immature to see it. As we begin to wind down here, wives, you are highly influential people. And when faith in the Lord gets tough for your husband, Perhaps you're in a never-ending roundabout. Do you encourage him to stay the course? Inspire him to seek the Lord? Or maybe there's conflict at the church and he's feeling down. Do you encourage him? I'm praying for you. Fight the good fight. The Lord will see us through. Or do you answer like the wife of Job and suggest that he just quit? Just quit the ministry. Just quit church. Just quit God. The Lord will judge you for that. 
You might not have a microphone. Be as one in charge, and your husband may be more of a peasant than a king, but you still have tremendous influence for godliness. Instead of looking for power and prominence, the Lord wants you to be aware of the significance and impact that you have right where you are, right now. What a powerful fourth scenario to have a godly woman influencing a godly man. And these are the type of relationships that energize the church and change spiritual landscapes. Mothers and grandmothers. Paul would write to a prominent godly young elder named Timothy who had a sincere faith. But where did Timothy get such conviction? Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Mothers and grandmothers, such a powerful influence on these young men. Single ladies, you might not be married, but you have the ear of your coworkers. You have the ear of your friends or your younger siblings, or maybe God will put you in a position to influence the commanders of the earth. You are influential. This we can have no doubt. But what are you influential for? Be influential for the Lord. To the men of people's church, look what happens to Solomon as the guarantee of God arrives for abandoning wisdom and intermingling with the world. Verse 4. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not tr wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of, his David, of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain of the east of Jerusalem. And he did so for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. Wisdom is lost. Men, the women in our life may be influential for good or evil, but at the end of the day, the weight of our own choices will fall on us. Look to verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon's wives. It doesn't say that, does it? And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. The God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing. That he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. 
This is no different than the Garden of Eden. Yes, Eve brought the forbidden fruit. But Adam bears the responsibility. Men, there is no one to blame here but ourselves. Adam tried to blame his wife. But God wouldn't have it. And Romans says, death reigned from Adam to Moses. First Corinthians says, for as in Adam all die. It was Solomon who laid aside wise judgment, and now a cascade of events will fall, and Israel will be torn in two. Men, sin has its own built physical consequences. But there is one more consequence for all who would abandon wisdom. The Lord himself will rise against you. Verse 14 of chapter 11, And the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. Man, the same is true today in our culture, our society, even in the North American church. As leaders of our households, of our wives, of our families, that should we abandon the wisdom of the Lord, the Lord will rise up an adversary against the church. And how we can rail and thunder against this adversary as if they were the cause of our problems. When in fact it is the Lord himself who has raised up our antagonist because our hearts are not fully belonging to him. Should we lay down our God-given responsibility to judge, to discern, to remain separate from the world. Proverbs says that wisdom will turn from sister to scoffer and will mock us. When terror strikes like a storm and calamity comes down like a whirlwind, then they will call upon wisdom. But wisdom will not answer. And then with all of our insight and understanding turned upside down, we will end up fighting God, all the while willfully blind to the foolishness that is in our own hearts. Men, there are influences surrounding us. Every day there are those vying for our attention, whether for good or evil. But in the power of the Spirit, you can lead your family in the way of the Lord, and declare to your wife and kids as Joshua did. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. Judge. Discern. Be separate. Let's pray. Lord, as we're your people, we bear your name. Lord, teach us to judge well, to discern, 
to be mindful of your holiness, that we can be separate and set apart for you. And Lord, for women or for men to influence for your sake, Lord, the power of influence that we have in you. Lord, may your gospel light shine through us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.